house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. It is up to us. We want the people to rally, to rise up. That is where it begins. He spoke of peace. Why shouldn't she follow him? She will divide our community. You love my son, don't you? Then you must prepare yourself. For what? To lose him. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast premiering on HBO After Dark. Skinamax. Every week on this Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we're here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with the demon I cling to, I cling to, Joe Reed. Well, you were not kidding with the promising the musicalness of this episode, yes. The whole time I was watching this movie last night, I was, I was like... There's so much Gaga to reference. There's so much Andrew Lloyd Webber to reference. There's Hot Judas. There's uh, Mary Magdalene and Jesus's intertwined personal relationship. What else do we have? Can we talk no about John the, the TikTok Baptist children uh, gravitating towards Bloody Mary? The mm-hmm. the Gaga sensation that happened. That it's oh, like, talk oh, to did me about you miss that. this? I did miss this. Uh, not even. A Born This Way B-side, like A Born This Way C-side, Bloody Mary, uh, became uh, a late hit for Gaga because okay. it was, it became a TikTok band. The great and unknowable realm of TikTok continues to baffle and uh, and surprise me at uh, at every turn. So it's worth it for sure. I mean, yes, sure, yes. The, 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 with the the whole thing with TikTok being in the news, right? And is are they going to take it away? And, blah, 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 and is this? And there are implications that that reach beyond TikTok and all of this. And it's like that's the yes. stuff I don't understand. I understand why TikTok is popular. I understand the things that are popular on TikTok. I maybe don't understand the most important thing about how it might affect my life. Well, <laughs> about it, I the thing that I feel like I have the biggest handle on is the fact that like government people who don't who also don't understand TikTok who basically see TikTok as like this thing their kids are into that they don't understand and they're on its case for data collection right it's data collection it's owned by the chinese so we're worried about data going to china which i'm sort of assuming that all of my data is already in china for like it, somehow or another anyway right sure. we've We've, I've sort of at least given up the ghost that, like... Listen, I can have a conversation with my husband in the car about... I don't can know. Can I tell you? Can I tell uh, you? Romaine lettuce. Yes. And I will get... Not it's just, insidious this way. Yes. I will have romaine lettuce um, stan accounts uh, yeah. show up in my Instagram feed. It's it's wild. It's... Um, yes. So... All this the, to say... Yes. 
Jesus would have slayed on TikTok. Oh, Jesus. Yes. I'm surprised, actually, that we haven't gotten a uh, some sort of fictional account of, like, if Jesus had existed today, he would come to the children through their social media, whatever. He would minister <laughs> through. He would be, you know, doing the – he would be flossing out on TikTok. Is He'd that even popular anymore? dance on TikTok. Yeah, right. Okay, that's more, that's more contemporary. Fine. I feel yeah. like flossing is, like, two years ago. I'm like, you're old. You're mm-hmm. too stupid old man. Um, that's still the only thing. Or would thing. he be inaccessible on social media and we get the drips through mary magdalene's social media presence much like we get like the beyonce like drips right. and details from miss tina's instagram well one of the things that one of the things i do find interesting about mary magdalene a movie that i wish i found a little bit more interesting was this idea this idea that like jesus had his message and then like it's refracted through all of these different people were like right. Mary Magdalene has her idea of what he's uh, he's teaching, and Peter has another idea, and Judas has another idea. So I'm imagining this, you know, modern day context of like maybe Peter is the one who has the Substack, right? And he's like, I am going to be presenting Jesus's message through. Uh, Substack and Judas is like, no, I'm going to be like singing covers on YouTube every day. And that's going to be my way of, and then Mary Magdalene is like, no, 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 this is all dumb and bad. I'm going to be on TikTok and I'm going to be getting, you know, I'm going to be reaching the people and that's sort of. And the the... Romans are truth social. (laughs) (laughs) The Romans are sitting back with six out of uh, nine votes on the Supreme Court and they're just like, hey, we don't have to worry about shit right now. So, um, yeah, I don't know. This metaphor is probably going to fall apart in my hands. But yeah. if we if we take it, listeners, to we're going to have a lot of Bible jokes if you didn't show up for that. Get today. ready, uh, because we're talking about none other than already forgotten, but at least for uh, U.S. audiences, long delayed. Yeah, Mary Magdalene. Scott long Davis's delayed is right. follow up to Lion. Uh, Rooney Mara gets attached to this movie. While she is still an active Oscar nominee for Carol, like this is that those Oscars have not even happened yet. So we are still in like very early 2016. She gets attached to this movie. She, of course, uh, that same year had been in Lion with uh, for director Garth Davis. She was sort of the least. This movie is filming as Lion is arriving in theaters. Uh, she's sort of the least interesting part of Lion, uh, through no fault of her own. That character is just sort of like, kind of, you know, you have a girl, he's got a girlfriend, right? And she's... Watching that performance, it's like, this is a very odd role to be played by a multiple Oscar nominee. (laughs) Right. Because it's not much of a role. So, this movie was originally intended to come out... In like 2017. And 2017 wrapped in 2016. The yes. timeline of it is very interesting because yeah. it ties into, I'm glad you mentioned the Carol of it. It also ties so much into Lion, which was being released, would have already had its festival debut by the time of filming. This movie is financed overseas by focus overseas and other uh, production companies, but the U.S. distributor that gets picked up 
is the Weinstein Company, who yes. also distributed Lion. And was intended to be their Thanksgiving release of this year. <laughs> and while the current war, cannot believe we're talking about this movie before wow. we talked about the current war. Oh my god, It's supposed true. to be their Christmas release. Right. We're expecting to see Mary Magdalene on the fall film festival circuit. All of these lineups get announced. There's no Mary Magdalene whisper campaigns start that it's like, oh, well, maybe it's not that good. But nobody's ever talking about, maybe they didn't have time to finish the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so... I'm somewhat dubious about, because Garth Davis has said, no, we we weren't done with the movie. I was too busy campaigning and promoting Lion to really mm-hmm. get started on uh, the movie before, you know, yeah. the release was planned uh, in August as Tulip Fever is hitting theaters. Tulip Fever is sweeping the nation. <laughs> <laughs> Tulip Fever is sweeping the release calendar. Yeah. Um, it gets pushed to Easter of yes. the next year. Yes. You can maybe see why, especially if the movie is not done or not all that great. Sure. Um, why it would be not only spring, but maybe somewhat of a cash grab to grab all of those Christians that flock to the movie theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, obviously, the Weinstein Report comes out that October. Yeah. Um. So the U.S. distribution rights get really kind of tied up as the movie kind of falters. It gets released overseas in the Easter season of 2018. Mm -hmm. IFC picks it up, releases it in the Easter season of 2019. Yes. So by the time that IFC, which like IFC, I remember them. I forget how many theaters they put this in, but like every once in a while, IFC will be like, we'll make a quick $2 million on this movie. Yes. Um, sure. And possible. they didn't with yeah. this movie. It made I, over $100,000. I love the absolute dedication to like, we've got to release this thing over the Easter and Passover holidays or else nobody <laughs> will go see it because clearly we need to to take that boost. It's so funny though. So I do before, as I'm preparing for the sort of year ahead, I assemble, I tend to assemble this spreadsheet where I go and I scour IMDb and Wikipedia and all these sort of like all these possible sources and assemble this kind of grand spreadsheet for all of the movies that are at the very least either scheduled for the new year or in post-production where I assume that like it's, they're in a space to be possibly scheduled in the new year and in it has become a good resource for when i go on the little gold men episode every year and talk about sort of year ahead oscars but it's also just sort of it's a nice way of looking at how the year sort of is laying out in front of us right what to expect what's what's on the docket and i pulled up my 2017 spreadsheet which, if it wasn't the first year that I did that spreadsheet, it was like one of them. Because I don't think, I, I can't imagine I was doing it much earlier than that. And sure enough, there is Mary Magdalene right on that sketch with a November 24th, 2017 release date scheduled from the Weinstein Company. There was no plot logline to speak of, although, you know, some is known of <laughs> the story of Mary Magdalene. What? Um, what? Yeah. So, and then that would then show up. And so when I make the new list for the new year, I sort of 
copy the old list, and then delete all of the movies that have opened. And so Mary Magdalene sat there on that list for three straight years. And I remember the very first time it was on there, and maybe even the second time, I was like, this is one to watch. Rooney Mara is so <laughs> hot right now, reteaming with Garth Davis. Uh, you know, what? she's the title role. It's a real person. We're getting, you know, the story we've never gotten before. And I'm like, this is going to be Rooney Mara's next Oscar nomination. And I well, held and it had a long pre-production tale too, because you mentioned it was first announced during the Carol season. Yes, yes. I, I, I actually in my researching around, I saw this where like it was like February of 2016 where it was announced. The other thing, though, you mentioned obviously the the fallout of the Weinstein Company that that in part contributed to this movie sort of sitting in a no man's land for a couple of years. It loses the Weinstein company. It is replaced by, I made a note of this as this movie was starting as I was watching it last night, a kind of a murderer's row of pre-movie fanfare uh, logos where it's like, Mm -hmm. IFC, low-key, underrated, good title card fanfare. Like that is it's they have it's, a new one since. Do th- I have I I can't picture the new one in my head, but the one that was on this one, it's that sort of like you get the shuddering of the mm-hmm. the film reel, and then this got this, you know, little bit of, you know, music, and it's just like it's very soothing. And it's it's the new be ones a Pavl- like that. It's just like on steroids a little. It's gotta be a Pavlovian thing of like somewhere in the back of my brain is the memory of sitting down at some movie theater and feeling very sort of calmed by whatever I was about to see. And IFC, you know, the IFC logo contributes to that. Then it's the big universal, you know, the globe is turning and the universal logo. Then those soothing tones of focus features come into play. And it's just like, (laughs) wow, this is really cleaning up in terms of the pre-movie fanfare. And then you get the film four, which is fine. But I was just like, it's interesting that like, you know, these studios combined bring you a movie that didn't really exist. These studios combined. And if you remove even just the IFC of it, it's like, so focus didn't try to get the, I I wonder what the legalese of all of that is that focus would be distributing it internationally, but not after what had happened. Right you know putting it out in the states uh Um, i want to before i I move on from my 2017 spreadsheet though because there are a couple interesting things in here i have the what would eventually be known as the post on here but it was known as the papers then which i totally forgot um the the lurking unknown that was the Cloverfield movie that was at that point... (laughs) The Super Bowl Cloverfield movie? I have it listed here as Cloverfield movie slash God Particle, because it at one point was going to be called God Particle, and then it ended up... That was the surprise Super Bowl drop under the title The Cloverfield Paradox. Not a good movie. Although (laughs) with a wild ending that it doesn't even like make the movie better, but it's just like, oh, they went for it. They, they, They did that. They did the thing. Um, what else is on here under odd, uh, titles? There's some, there's certain movies that are on here that are like, what is this thing? Um, 
a movie called Final Portrait that was to be directed by Stanley Tucci. These are maybe movies that happened and just like I didn't even notice that a biopic <laughs> about a painter starring Jeffrey Rush and Army Hammer directed by that Stanley happened. Tucci. That happened. That's okay. a movie. Okay, see, you're the right person to talk to because like sometimes these movies make it through. And that might be another IFC movie because that was that movie was indeed released. I just forget who the distributor was. Okay. Um, what else do I have here that maybe never happened? Well, obviously the Spielberg movie, The Kidnapping of Edgardo Mont- Mortara, which that was the is that the Pope movie? Is that the movie that had to something to do with so many Spielberg Spielberg movies aren't real until filming starts. That's the like, thing. But that movie I remember was on his. Uh, like pre-production slate forever, forever and ever and ever. As um, was the U.S. remake of like Father Like Son, the Coriata movie that mm, he saw while being the Can president. Right, uh, the Can president that awarded Blue is the warmest color, a movie that is not good. <laughs> Did this movie ever happen? It was called Submergence. The Vim Vendor, a Vim Vendor's movie called Submergence with James McAvoy, Alicia Vikander, and Charlotte. That Rampling. movie played Tiff. Yes. Okay, that a, see? That is a movie. This is a fun game to play with you, because you definitely uh, uh, definitely know much, much more than me. Um, you got more for me? I just cracked my back for it. I can crack my <laughs> knuckles if you need. What else do you got? <laughs> Probably. What else do I have? Let's see. Um, oh, what is this movie that I've never heard of? On Chesil Beach? That's weird. Um uh, I don't never know, but I did remember hearing B.B. Zahara Benet <laughs> do a song about it. <laughs> like On Chesil Beach. Um, okay. Yeah, oh wait, there was one more that I wanted to mention, because I definitely... Um, what is... Oh no, this one I definitely remember hearing about, although I never saw. Same kind of different as me, the Renee Zellweger movie. That's real. That's that, real. No, that's, that's definitely a, that's another. Real. That's uh, like one of those... Uh, Christian movies. What is it with roadside attractions? Roadside attractions is not releasing like awards movies anymore, and they they they've done this collaboration with I believe it's like Vertical mm. Entertainment or Vertical Releasing or something where it's like mm. those movies get into theaters, but they're more so meant for VOD. But like the roadside releases now are a lot of like Christian targeted movies. Mm. Interesting. All right, this um, one more, one more, and then we'll stop playing this silly little game. But this is a fun game, and maybe we can play it in the future. Uh, I have this thing listed as a movie called Damsel, a David Zellner movie called Damsel, that's starring a real movie. Robert Pattinson and Mia Wasikowska. Real movie under that title? Yes, it's a western. I've never heard of it. I wanted to watch it, but yeah? I never watched it. Anybody's listening and has seen any of these movies, tweet at us and let us know how they were. Don't yell at us because there's. Only so many things I can keep in my brain at one time, but definitely. If, let you've, us know seen if you've seen Submergence, movies. a movie that I think only played Tiff or something like that, <laughs> like it does not, it's not a real movie, but it is a real movie. Uh, tell us about Submergence. Oh, and, and there's also there's a Lake Bell movie called What's the Point that is on this spreadsheet, starring Lake Bell, Ed Helms, and Mary Steenburgen, that is listed as a comedy. What's the title again? What's the Point? That sounds like it yeah. could be real. Yeah. Um, I mean, most of like most of these movies who get to the stage of getting onto this spreadsheet seem to be that they're in some stage of production, so they probably get released at some point. But this is a, some this of is them a very game quietly. we need to do for trivia nights. Like, is this movie real or not? Like, yeah. was this ever made? One one when I worked at the Atlantic Wire, I started in November of 2013, and so it was very not very long before the Sundance 
the lineup announcement came out, and I, every year, was so enchanted by the Sundance lineup and would sort of pour through it and see what's going on. But also, the I, the the thing that I loved about the Sundance lineup every year was all, more than half of those movies sounded like parodies of Sundance movies when you read yes. the like the title combined with the performers combined with the log line it's it, it it very much sort of like skirted the edge of self-parody so we did a whole article that was like guess whether this is a real Sundance movie or a totally fake thing that we just made up and we had a very <laughs> very fun time that day coming up with fake uh fake Sundance titles so uh all of that is to say Story of Mary Magdalene hasn't been told in this way ever before, so we really are getting get ready. It is see, okay? There's stretches of this movie that I'm like, I am into this. This, this. Uh-huh. There are this ideas could, in this, this movie is, that I'm is, into. Yeah. There is a nugget of a good movie here. However, yes. when the movie becomes more about Jesus, yes, it becomes not good. Yes, but it it fumbles the Mary character Magdalene, of Jesus. I think right. Joaquin Phoenix as Jesus, He's which too old. is kind of exactly what you expect it to be. Yeah, but the movie that's like he is giving a fully committed performance that becomes almost parody of a Joaquin Phoenix performance. It's because the not... movie that surrounds it is so limp. I don't think that performance is particularly interesting, though. I think it's committed. I think he's going for it. I don't find, and this is not me being a Joaquin Phoenix hater. I've kind of backed off a little bit from my extreme Joaquin Phoenix haterism, and this performance doesn't come on, have come on, did a lot of that for you. This performance <laughs> doesn't have the Joaquin ticks that I find so irksome. So, like, this is not a performance that is going to bother me on that level. I just well, don't think. Know. I just don't think there's a lot to be very interested in there. By far, the more interesting scenes to me are the ones between Mary and Judas and Mary and Peter. Because, like, that to me is where this movie gets interesting, is the wrangling between those characters as to how how each of them are sort of interpreting what Jesus is saying through what, certainly at least with Peter and Judas, through what they want it to be, through what they want to be true. Because Peter wants a revolution against Rome, and... As does Judas, but Judas also just like wants his dead family members to come back to life, and and Mary, who is also you know interpreting things through her own experience, even though sometimes the movie interprets it as like, well, Mary's the one who sees the truth of it all, and Mary's the only one who you know really gets it. But Mary also is coming at this just like, in my experience, I have I have been and I have seen, you know, women sort of struggling under the thumb of this patriarchal patriarchal society. And I want to sort of turn Jesus's head towards their plight. And, you know, ha- and his ministry can be about helping, you know, the the downtrodden among us here on earth, here in Galilee or wherever. Before we get too far into it, then, since we're you know we're start we're starting to you know uh, talk about the yeah. movie, yeah, yeah, we should yeah, do yeah. the sixty second plot description. We should, which Are I have not ready? prepared for. No, I, I presume I'm this not. is going to be very difficult because you, as a uh, Catholic, are uh, very unfamiliar with uh, this story. If you were to ask me to to give sixty seconds on the uh, events of Easter week from Palm Sunday through. 
uh, Easter Sunday, I probably would have an easier time. This is there. There are intricacies here that I'm whatever, whatever. <laughs> I'll do my best. I will do my best. Yes, listeners, we're here talking about the motion picture Mary Magdalene, directed by Garth Davis, written by Helen Edmondson and Philip Goslett, starring Rooney Mara, Joaquin Phoenix, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Tahar Rahim, Sarah Sophie Busnina, Hadas Yaron, Chucky Cario, Shira Haas, Ariane Labed, uh, the uh, partner of Yorgos Lanthimos and Denny ah, Minoche. Very interesting. Um yeah, it's a it's a good cast, I think, all in all. So it's like a really good European cast at the very beginning of the movie when it's mm-hmm. Mary Magdalene with her family. Yeah. And I was thinking, whoa, is that what this whole movie is going to be? Yeah. And it's ultimately not. <laughs> I can I really wish that it was or maybe the first 15 minutes of the movie were like 90 percent of the movie sure 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 Um, sure. yeah because like that stuff is really good and interesting i thought but uh let's not get too far ahead of ourselves joseph reed are you uh ready to give a 60 second plot description uh as ready as i'll ever be yeah all right then your 60 second plot description of mary magdalene starts now All right, picture it, Judea, A.D. 33. Uh, Mary Magdalene is a young woman in the town of Magdala. She doesn't want to get married, even though that's, you know, basically all she's there for. Her family tries to give her a forced exorcism because of this, and she's like, fuck this, I'm going to go, and I'm going to follow this guy, Jesus, who's come through my town and and has seemed to have some good ideas. She fits in with his little group, which is pretty, you know, well-established by this point. Uh, Not everybody likes her. Peter, who is more of a revolutionary, thinks that she's going to distract from the mission, and Judas just wants his dead uh, relatives to come back uh, to life, as Jesus has sort of promised, and they kind of, you know, they go from town to town and she tries to get jesus to uh, pay attention to the women in each towns and then they come to jerusalem and jesus sort of walks through town and judas is like hey why are where are all the dead relatives coming back to life and and he gets disillusioned and he betrays jesus to the romans and jesus gets crucified briefly and comes back to life and mary magdalene is one of the it's the first person to see him and she tells the apostles and they're like well okay but like you still shouldn't be a big part of this going forward and she's like fuck you i will be heard and and then she goes and she has a nice little talk with Jesus in the end. 15 seconds over. And on the seventh day, you can rest, Joe Reed. Um, yes, Mary Magdalene did absolutely say fuck you. That was in the book of Slay. Um, <laughs> so actually, one of the things, because uh, uh, famously, I, I've i never gone to a non-Catholic school. I went to Catholic school all the way through kindergarten through uh, eighth grade, then went to a Catholic high school, and then went to a Jesuit college. So um, I've never (laughs) not attended a Catholic-affiliated school. One of the classes, though, that we took at my college, and the Jesuits, as I may have mentioned on here before, are like, they're Catholic, but they're also like very dedicated to education. They're like, two things are like missionary work and education. And uh, dedicated to education to the point where like yeah like we'll teach you about everything (laughs) like we don't necessarily are it's not like religious education it's not like indoctrination it's so like all of the classes that i ever took that sort of like opened me up to world religions and kind of set me along the path towards becoming 
more or less agnostic, non-practicing Catholic were because <laughs> the classes that I took when I was at my Jesuit college. Um, but I remember in one class we learned about the Gnostic Gospels for the first time, the Apocryphal Gospels, these uh, texts that had been found in various you know places around either the Middle East or Greece or or, or Rome or whatever that were said to be or sort of debated as to whether they were written by people who were around Jesus at that time. And one was like the Gospel of uh, St. Thomas, Thomas, who was sort of in the Bible, famously the one who like, is that really Jesus back from the dead? I'm not entirely sure. I'm going to have to do the story in the Gospels. Like they, he had to like stick his hand in Jesus's wounds to believe that it oh, was geez. the really... Oh, yeah. Catholic, Jesus. Catholicism like, well, is wild. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jesus indeed. And so, uh, but so the, uh, he... has got some gross shit. He is said to have uh, a gospel uh, written either, I mean... The authorship of the Gospels is a conversation we're not going to really get into, but like, um, there's the Gospel of Thomas, but there's a, a said to be a Gospel of Mary, and uh, there's we are going to get into the war, the awards trajectory of the Gospels, though the uh, oh the yeah yeah award trajectory yeah that's some were talking. some were ruled ineligible by the Writers Guild because they weren't par- properly registered with the Guild right, and right, that whole thing, right. but yeah, so there's a Gospel of Mary, a sort of apocryphal Gospel of Mary that uh, there's debate over which Mary because there's this, one of my favorite things about the Bible is that there's like it's too many Marys right it's Mary the mother of God and then there's Mary Magdalene and there's like a couple other Marys sort of like in that midst it's sort of everybody it's like the Chris's they were the Chris's of their time it's like who's your preferred there's many Mary. gay Chris's in the world um, the uh, gay Chris's are the biblical Marys yes as I sent you uh, the clip last night uh, the circus is in town Mary oh wow the circus is in town Mary and it is it, it's <laughs> That was Vanjie talking about uh, uh, the the women of the Bible. Um, But so there is this possibility that there is a gospel written by Mary Magdalene. And that's sort of where a lot of this reinterpretation of Mary Magdalene as a historical figure sort of coalesces. Because one of the... Well, and the movie asserts a lot of uh, historical uh, sources of, you know refuting yeah. the conventionally accepted version of Mary right. Magdalene as Pope whoever in the year 500 was the first one to say that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute and it basically stuck throughout the rest of history. Right. Uh, because that is never said explicitly in the text of the Bible that she was a prostitute. And it's one of those things where you can see, uh, not to get too sort of vulgar about it, but like if, you know, Jesus's friend had some friends who didn't really care for her, close relationship with jesus and they're just like yeah that prostitute right you know what i mean it's like that well that but interpretation also that it's this reflects. one woman caravanning around with a bunch of men she's not she's married not married to, yes which like i kind of this this is the stretch of the movie that i really liked because it is this recontextualization against conventionally accepted and andrew lloyd weber recertified versions of the gospels that you know yeah. uh, that she is a, you know, prostitute, but in, you know, the movie is reasserting her as a woman who essentially left her family right. for religious purpose. And to go on tour with the Grateful Dead, religious. essentially. Like, that's basically sort of yeah. the, that's, I imagine that's how it was interpreted at the time, was like, the, she was the Martha Marcy May Marlene of her, <laughs> of her family, sort of going off to run with this uh, messianic cult. But also in, you know, 
semi-ancient cultures how heretical that might have been that oh, totally. could have you know yeah uh being that she was a woman uh, doing this yeah um and the movie positions her as a woman who is you know uh a complicated relationship with her father she's like guiding shira haas through a birth yeah um so yeah, like some of it seems perhaps a little too neat in a bow. Uh-huh. Yeah, I would agree with uh, that. In a way that's when she says I will not be silenced. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> she's basically um, doing the Oprah gif of like were you silent or were you silenced? Like she that's how right. she's defining herself. Yes. Yes. But I I also think that you know, maybe simply by nature, we haven't really seen that movie before from this story. Right. And then the movie becomes very much kind of the Revlon ad of the version <laughs> we have seen of this movie. Right. Until Jesus dies. Again, this is where I come back to that the most interesting parts for me are her interactions and relationships with Peter and Judas. Because two of the things that we know about... The things that we're sort of taught as Catholics, uh, not to, I, this is the as a Catholic episode. I'm just, I'm gonna, as, as sort of, now that, uh, I listened to Blank Check, now that David Sims is doing a, a Danny Boyle series and he's just like, I'm just gonna stop being concerned about bringing up that I lived in England for all this time. It's like, it's going to inform all of these episodes. That's me with this episode. It's just like, this is my, I'm a Catholic episode. <laughs> um, culturally Catholic. I don't, I, I am very much not practicing. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, Everything that we're, the things that we're sort of taught about St. Peter, once you get sort of beyond the, the, you know, what happens in the actual gospels, he's the first pope, right? He's the person who the rock upon which the, the church is built, the institutional church from there on after. And so Peter in this movie very much represents the institutional church's resistance to acknowledging Mary and thus the, through Mary women as equal to men as uh you know equal in terms of ministry or in terms of place of prominence within that you know he sees her as a distraction he sees her as somebody who is going to weaken their movement and uh, this, this is a very sort of like, it's not even on the level of metaphor. It's just sort of like, that's, that is what Peter is within this religion is he is sort of the, the beginnings of the institutional church. And so of course he's going to be the most opposed to her. The things that we know about Judas beyond the fact that like, he's the one who betrays Jesus. We get the scene in the movie where he kisses Jesus on the cheek, which is what signals to the Romans that this is the guy you want to come and arrest because they didn't have, google image search back at the time so they didn't maybe know what jesus looked like um so yeah uh, the um the jennifer lopez grammy's dress was a few years ad right um, right so google image search right that was 39 ad not 33 ad by the way the fact that this you said 33 ad and i was like um is this jesus too is this Jesus the sequel? No, that's no, that's the beginning of this movie. Starts with a title card that says thirty three CE, uh, which is what AD you is said AD that. though in the yeah. plot description. But AD and CE are basically the same thing. CE is what replaced AD in terms of like the 
the the common parlance. Isn't AD supposed to be after death? Like it when? No, it's not. It's not after death. I think that's why they replaced it because there was a misconception of it. It's a Um. Latin term that's like ante whatever whatever. It means after. It's the birth of Christ that is the dividing factor. So CE thirty three is the year that Jesus (laughs) is thirty three years old, which is famously the year that Jesus died. Um, what we need is BGI AGI before Google Images after Google. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, but. So we know that Jesus is Judas is the one who betrays Jesus. His the I, the famous story, the sort of like the least uh, kind story to Judas is that he betrayed Jesus for thirty pieces of silver, and then immediately goes off and kills himself because he's uh, hangs himself because he's so ashamed of what he's done, and. Other sort of Judas becomes the more interesting character as you do these sort of more postmodern interpretations of the Jesus story. Obviously, uh, the idea of sexy Judas, which is very much the case in Mary Magdalene, Tahar Rahim is so hot as Judas in this movie. But like, this is not the first time. Like, obviously, Jesus Christ Superstar has also explored ideas of hot Judas. And, um, but so Lady Gaga has explored hot Judas. 100%. Exactly. Um, but he's you can see why he's the most interesting character in this sort of story of Jesus as you move along towards a more postmodern perspective because he's the one who he's the one who transgresses right he's the one who betrays Jesus he steps out of this you know everybody else is is loyal to Jesus and, and what would it take for somebody to betray Jesus right and so in this movie it the thing I sort of you know make light of the idea that like he thinks his dead family members are going to come back as like righteous ghosts or whatever, but the movie kind of tells you that like that is what if not what Jesus has actively led him to you know believe, but certainly nobody's disabused him <laughs> of this notion, and it's again these people sort of uh interpreting Jesus's teachings about like the kingdom of heaven will be coming and, and, you know, uh, salvation will be coming and what will come all these sort of like highly metaphorical ideas. And Mary Magdalene is sort of the one to just be like, I wonder if what he's saying isn't meant to be taken strictly literally Judas and Judas. Is well, taking it doesn't it very help literally. that like Jesus in this movie is basically powder, like a mystic <laughs> who is just like there to say mystical Not shit powder. and then sit around silently for a while. And everybody right. else is like, well, what the fuck is going on? Um, well, and, and in terms of a, a, a theme and a, you know, that's that, that tracks, right. That Jesus, Said what he said. Jesus in this movie is your friend that will just like walk into a room, hear half of a conversation, and then say some like thing about like, ah, yes, it's your Saturn return, and then leave. Like he'll say some <laughs> astrology shit and then leave. And everyone's like, uh <laughs> sorry. <coughs> no, that's Joaquin Phoenix Jesus. Your Saturn like, return. He's has a constant half glaze over his eyes. <laughs> And is just yeah. like yeah. hippie Jesus in this yeah. movie, yeah. but like also powder because he can cure people, right? But like Jesus never really feels like a character. To- Jesus's mere function in this movie, uh, for like what it's trying to contextualize this birth of a religion, right? Um, in this movie, but like Jesus is the least interesting thing about this movie. Hundred percent. Well, as I was, you know, 
there's a there's a degree to which uh, you know Jesus said what he said, much like Tamisha Iman and Drag Race. You know, he said what he said, and then everybody else sort of takes that ball. And, and much like Tamisha Iman, he will read you on Tuesday, little on girl, the day of his resurrection. That's what he said to to Peter when Peter questioned him. He said, "I've been around for thirty years at this little girl." Um, right. Anyway. Um, he has a secret colostomy bag. I should not be surprised at how many times we're referencing RuPaul's Drag Race in this episode about Mary Magdalene and Jesus. Um, well, this is a movie that asks the really crucial question, what if Mary Magdalene slayed? Um, <laughs> okay, does Mary Magdalene slay in this movie? Does Rooney Mara ever, like... I think Rooney Mara's good in this movie. I think the I think what she's serving is a soft slay. Oh, um, I, I'm, not, I'm not denying that. I think she's good in this movie. I'm saying... Outside of the bounds of, like, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Lizbeth Salander, certainly she slays in that. Is Rooney Mara the type of actress who, when she's doing what she's doing, would you describe her as as a slay? Oh, Carol, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I guess there are different ways to slay. It doesn't have to be so demonstrative she's you're not always doing the splits and the and the shablams and all that sort of stuff she's 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 not a shablam actress she's 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 not really a park and bark either though right she's kind of she's giving you soft interpretations right she's she's working outside of she's giving you downtown theater in the round right right yes yeah like yeah yeah She's an artist. She's giving Obie Award. She's always giving Obie Award. That's true. She's this not like not, this. Is not like okay. I like Rooney Mara a lot. So and everything I'm saying to compliment her sounds like soft shade. Um, it's an it's inevitable. She's you just can't a really... very unique, particular actress. She's from. She's like if Juliette Binoche went didn't go as hard. I all right. That's a good comparison, actually. There's, I, I think, because Juli- Juliette Binoche like is maybe the same type of actress, but like goes hard. Sure. Like, like Juliette Binoche. I've seen some terrible movies with her in it, and I've seen some average movies in it. Yeah. She, with her in it, she is always fucking putting everything in it. J- Rooney Juli- Mara is, but it's just like Rooney Mara isn't a. Like she just the, the characters she plays are different. Like this performance, I think, is very similar to her performance in Women Talking, where it's like mm-hmm. I thought of Women Talking a few times in this movie, actually. Yes, yeah. Like it's she's a direct. She's good at playing direct forward, but she's yeah. maybe not a forceful person. She's much more forceful in this than she is in Women Talking. But there's like, that I, baby bird quality to her that I can't. You know what I mean? Just like for for good <laughs> I don't or think bad, she's a baby like, bird. There, but there is, but there's that that way of, um, you know, it almost feels like you're you're really coaxing out any kind of words out of her, right? She's you know reluctant to speak sometimes, and she's observing the world around her, and she's you know very you know careful my bones a little bit about it all, and <laughs> she's um, careful my bones. She, I mean, like, I think. You know, this movie catches her in the uh, the uh, crossroads of uh, 
paper bag fashion and blowing in the breeze, Rooney Mara. Like, it, uh, you know, much like uh, in the Terrence Malick movie she was in, though that movie is like rock and roll. This movie is. Right. Um, Never Alfred saw that Krause, one. Soft contemporary. How many Terrence Malick movies has she been in? Just that one? Just the one. Song I'm pretty to song? sure it's just the one. But she she was in Soul to Soul, which, like, blurs somewhat with Knight of Cups in my mind to me, and you can see why. I l- think I like both. I know I like Knight of Cups. I forget everything about... So- is it Song to Song? I think it's Song, song to, to song. song. I think it's not... I think it's Song to Song. I think that's... She's the Soul to Soul. What's that group? Is that That's a group. That's. I'm pretty sure there's a group called Soul... Back Wait, to I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm looking that up, because I think that is that song. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hold on. Soul to soul. However, do you want me? Yeah, wait, it's gotta yeah. be. Yes, back to Mara. life. Back to life parentheses, however do you want me, is the title of that song. I love a parenthesis. Great song. Yes. This is like when Okay, again, I'm gonna talk about Beyonce. When Beyonce <laughs> came out with Renaissance last year, I was like, this is the shit we used to we used to listen to house music on popular radio as Definitely. children. Definitely. Like, and it was I wouldn't necessarily say soul to soul is house music, but like adjacent. Like No, but there we was listen to jock jams. Like we that's used to the listen thing. to full on dance music in the nineties. Early nineties was a lot of that. Like a lot of bands that felt very um quasi uh assembled you know what i mean that like you know this this band sort of really exists inside a studio um a snap i've got the power is sort of in that realm um obviously you're right like the the more the more specifically uh renaissance in uh uh referenced stuff the uh robin s's of the world and whatnot but yes. even like Lisa Stansfield was so popular. Le and like Lisa's baby. Labouche, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like not all of it was strictly dance music, but it was a lot of this kind of soft soul music too. Like I remember like when I was like a beat. Like when I was 10 years old, like Anita Baker was on the radio constantly. Anita hell Baker. Oh yes. You know what I mean? Like it's crazy mm-hmm. to think about that mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um good yeah. music, good shit. Yeah. Um to loop it back to the Rooney Mara discussion. Yeah. With the bridge of uh, popular 90s music, yes. I feel like what you are saying is that Rooney Mara is Baby Spice, and what I'm trying to say is she is always going to be Posh Spice. Oh, I think that's more right. I don't think she's Baby Spice. I think the the bird-like quality, I think, is definitely just in the way that she observes Purchase. first observes first, and sort of, you know, uh, speaks second if not third (laughs) Um, this movie this movie is at a detriment when it is not her observing it feels like she leaves for such a chunk of the movie here's my question to you if this movie was not all caught up in the weinstein sell-off if this movie wasn't released three years after it was made if this movie sort of has a more normal trajectory uh and gets say a venice premiere or a telluride premiere or something is she in the Oscar conversation? Is Rooney's performance in this movie, is this movie enough to put her in the Oscar conversation? Or is this ultimately not good enough of a movie and maybe not demonstrative enough of a performance to put her in an awards conversation? I definitely think she's in the conversation. I think that's maybe the top line of it. The If this had come yeah. out in 2017 as it was supposed to, that's probably a really, really hard Best Actress lineup to crack. Yeah. 
Um, that lineup being Francis McDormand winning for three billboards, Sally Hawkins in The Shape of Water, Margot yep. Robbie in I, Tanya, Saoirse Ronan in Lady Bird, and Meryl in The Post. It's like, a very good lineup. I, I think she has no chance of cracking that lineup. Yeah, yeah. Who else would, would have been like... I want to look up the Golden Globe nominees, though, because like that feels like a possible Golden Globe uh, nomination. If, like, if the drama category, you know, is uh, short one or two... Uh, hold on a second. 2017. Right. Let's see. I mean, conceivable sixth place, I think, was actually maybe Vicky Creeps because the Phantom Threat came on very so. strong at the end. But so, okay, yeah. so you're, but that that came on after the Globe nomination. So Saoirse Ronan and Margot Robbie were both nominated in comedy, which left two sort of open spots. Uh, the drama nominees, Francis McDormand. Sally Hawkins, Meryl Streep, who all went on to get Oscar nominations, Jessica Chastain in Molly's Game, and Michelle Williams in All the Money in the World. Great performance, good movie. Sure, but like a wild awards trajectory there. I think Rooney could have been competitive for one of those two slots. Actually, looking up the Globes comedy lineup, I do think because she was also BAFTA nominated, I think sixth place was Judy, Judy Dench, Dench and Victoria. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I I think so. Yes. I hate that movie. I, Vicky's probably eighth or ninth, though. I would say. Um, uh, I I would say maybe seventh or eighth. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Seventh or eighth. Yes. Uh, yeah. I math is not my strong suit. Yes. We seventh love or eighth. Vicky so much. I can't wait till Vicky gets her nomination. What does she have coming up this year? I wonder. Great question. Um, I could bring up my 2023 <laughs> spreadsheet. If see. she doesn't have anything with a possibility of being nominated this year, there really is something wrong with this speech. I mean, the thing about Vicky Creeps is because she stars in, like, last year, right? She was in that movie Corsage. And foreign language stuff is a little bit harder to spot coming down the pike from our vantage point. Um, let's see. Vicky, Vicky, Vicky. Nothing in my spreadsheet. Let me check the IMDb, the old IMDb, old reliable. Um, Katie mentioned that when we did our uh, Little Gold Men Look Ahead episode, she was like, it really is, especially for people like me, <laughs> can kind of sets the table for the foreign language film conversation right. in a way that we don't really necessarily, it's not like Sundance does that for for uh, English language films or whatever. Okay, so upcoming for Vicky Creeps. A Viggo Mortensen directed and starring movie called The Dead Don't Hurt. I am not going to hold out any hope for that. His previous directed movie, Falling, is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. She's in a movie coming up called The Wall, where she plays a Border Patrol agent. So Vicky Creeps' Sicario oh, no. is uh, oh, no. is coming. And, uh, of course, it is another year, so we can't go one more year without another uh, Three Musketeers movie. Although this one seems to be um, God, there is something wrong with female-focused. It is the Three Musketeers colon Milady, <laughs> starring Eva no. Green. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm back on. I'm Star- back on. Starring I'm back Ava, on. <laughs> Ava Green as Milady. Vicky Creeps is in this movie. Louis Garrel is in this movie as Louis the Thirteenth. Vincent Cassell, this is the sexiest movie of all time. Look at that. Ava Green, Vincent Cassell, Vicky Creeps, Louis Garrel. Like, sure. Call the fire department, honey, because that is hot. Like, come on. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, it's also got. The clown a- has come to town and called the fire department. <laughs> the circus is in town, Mary. Um, yeah, so. 
I'm kind of into that. Three Musketeers, Milady. When is that? It's expected in December. It's uh, it's got a December thirteenth release date. So, mm-hmm. God bless. You know, sometimes we make fun of the fact that every year has to be a new Three Musketeers movie, and yet, okay. So, who are the three female artists then who combine to do the modern day all for all for one, all for love? The three Milady Tears. Yes. Who um... are the who's who's going to sing? Kelly Clarkson. <laughs> 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 Kelly Clarkson, um, Casey Musgraves, and Olivia Rodrigo. <laughs> I'm in. I'm totally in. All right, Vicky, we've got. Uh, you. Can I just side note say I am really upset that the Kelly Clarkson Vegas residency starts two weeks after I'm going to be there for my sister's birthday. Oh, Chris, this feels cruel. This feels cruel and targeted genuinely homophobic i thought you were gonna say who's gonna be the three who's gonna play the three musketeers which there are four imagine if it was vicky rooney oh (sighs) vicky rooney wait um yeah who rounds out who rounds (laughs) yeah (laughs) and dakota johnson (laughs) sure yes (laughs) Perfect. <laughs> the three milady tears. The three miladies. Uh, uh, oh my god! All right, I'm into it. I'm into it. All right, let's let's. That is now we have adopted that movie. That is a this had Oscar buzz adoptee. <laughs> is the three musketeers milady? We'll see how it goes. Okay. <laughs> it better be announced for the cam lineup. Is all I'm going to say. And if it is, I'm drafting it in our pool. Um, okay. We should talk about Garth Davis. Yeah, Garth Davis got um, Aussie. His- Ozzy Goth Davis. Yes. Um, Came to prominence from co-directing just the first season of Top of the Lake with Jane Campion. Yes. Uh, Are you a Top of the Lake person? No, I don't remember how much of the first season of Top of the Lake I watched. Top of the Lake came to me at a time when I had really gotten burned out on the True Detectives and um, mm-hmm. what was the what was the British one with Olivia Coleman and David Tennant? Broadchurch. Mm-hmm. I had watched True Detective and I had watched Broadchurch and I had watched The Killing, and I don't think I was up for another season long limited series about yeah. let's look into these uh, grisly deaths of young girls. So I, I had nothing against it. I of course adored the talent involved: Elizabeth Moss and Nicole Kidman, and of course Jane Campion. I think I watched maybe two episodes and then kind of soft quit it. You know what I mean? I watched all of both seasons, and there is there is a lot of wait. Kidman's the second there. season, and Holly Hunter's the first season, right? Yes. The gray um, hair. There's a gray hair yeah, in each they both season. Got these wild wigs. Yeah. Um, there, there is a lot about the top of the lake seasons that I found to be vegetables, in a way that like Jane Campion is never vegetables. Like so. In a way that sometimes Jane Campion is pegged as vegetables, and then you're like, no. Like, you watch the thing, and it's just like, no. Right, that's, like, right. Bright Star is like, oh, another costume drama. Snooze, snooze, it's snooze. Like, and it's like, not. no. Like, you're on the edge of your seat being like, purple? Is there going to be purple in this scene? What's going on? <laughs> um, so, is are they going to hold zombie? hands? Oh, my God. I think they're holding hands in this scene. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's incredible. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think that's, that's, I don't think I would enjoy actual vegetables coming, uh, from, from that. So you watched both seasons. Yes. 
But he only did some of the episodes of the first season. Right. Unless he did, like, an episode of the second. Sure, sure, sure. Um, And then Lion happens. Lion, which is... Talk to me about where you felt like Lion fell in that award season. It got six Oscar nominations, I think. It did. I saw Not for Garth Davis and director though, though he won the DGA best first time director. And wasn't he nominated for just like the the DGA, the the regular regular DGA, I believe? I maybe? I think so. I will look that up. Look that up while I talk about. It. So, I attended the world premiere of Lion at TIFF in 2016, uh rather than the uh press screening of that movie and I <laughs> that was one of those ones where I like I got a ticket. I didn't know anybody else who was seeing that at the time. So, like, I saw that one fully by myself. And you did get both DGA nominations for Lion. You yeah, correct. yeah, I thought so. Um, it was one of those things where he gets the DGA and everybody's like, yeah, but that's not going to happen at the Oscars. And then, it, of course, didn't happen at the Oscars. Um, not a dry eye in the house, I will describe, including my own, when uh, when Lion was finished at its premiere and so i walked out of that being like if that's the reaction and i know that like festival fever and whatever whatever half of the people in the room for a world premiere at a festival are connected to the movie or related to people who are connected to the movie but um there are ways in which you can gauge a reaction at a at a premiere at a festival especially toronto i thought the same of when I saw I, Tanya, the reaction to mm-hmm. the ovation that Alice and Janney's name in the closing credits got at that movie, I was mm-hmm. like, okay, she's getting nominated for an Oscar. Um, so walking out of Lion and everybody's sort of, you know, sniffling and, and, and drying their tears, I was like, oh, this is going to be a definite Oscar contender. I really liked that movie. I know that it's, it's, you know, unabashedly sentimental. And for some people, that's sort of anathema. And, you know... It was one I, of the many uh, movies that season that had a credit song by Sia. Oh, that was the year of Sia, right. It was Lion, it was the I Eagle Huntress. that was the year of Sia, and yes. even it carried over into the next year was the year of Sia? Well, it was Lion, Zootopia... The Neon Demon. The Neon Demon, The Eagle Huntress. Remember that song from The Eagle Huntress? <laughs> <laughs> it was like it was there the was same as all though, the other ones. There were songs that she wasn't singing, but she wrote the songs. Yeah. There were songs that were not original right. to the movie that right. were Sia in the credits. Right. That was Zootopia. She wrote the Zootopia song, but she didn't see- sing the Zootopia song. Like, and yeah. then Sia goes and makes her own uh, bad offensive movie, and now we she's we just don't, hanging out, we don't writing songs for people, and giving Survivor contestants money. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I think Dev Patel's quite good and also like crazy hot in Lion. Um and I think we talked about this recently. This is the uh Dev Patel going from Twink to Twunk. Yes. Hundred percent. Yes. That was the film's original title is from Twink to Twunk. Uh and they changed it to Lion <laughs> at like the last second. Um I would also say Sonny Pawar, who plays the younger yeah. version oh, yeah. of Saru, is a really great child performance. I mean, yes. like I, that always sounds so shady. Like I No, but because you're right. when people were like, Well, yeah. is Deb Patel really supporting in that movie? I'm like, Well, you could say the lead is Sonny Pawar and he's great. So I struggle with the lead. I know you hate talking about lead supporting distinction, so I'll keep this brief. I hate like, it. I hate it. It, I, I don't hate, I don't hate it as a, a topic. I hate the way people talk about it. I sorry. hate the way people turn it into like battlefield. Right. It's no, I agree. Stupid. I to me, I struggle with the notion of, 
you're only in half of the movie, but the half of the movie that you're in, you are in every single scene. You are the lead of everything. You are the lead. And like, that's sort of where I came down with Dev Patel. It's just like, I kind of don't care about screen time. He's the lead of the parts of, of the movie that he's right. in. And so put it, giving him a supporting nomination felt a little bit like weird, but whatever. Like these are imperfect, these are imperfect distinctions and, and whatever. He gets his first Oscar nomination for that. Very well deserved. I think he's very good. Kidman gets a nomination, a totally unsurprising nomination. She's very good in that movie, but she's mostly like nice, right? She's the, yeah. she's, she's a loving, mother. She's a loving adoptive mother and it's impossible not to walk out of that movie loving her as much as his character in the movie loves her. And she hadn't been nominated since Rabbit Hole, which had been at that point 6 years. And I was happy that she got that nomination, even though I probably wouldn't have put her in my top 5 that year. Mm-hmm. Um but I think it helps contribute to this notion that her nominations, when you look at her career, are odd. They're yeah. they're not always the indicative Nicole Is it Kidman. Four? How many? Five? How many nominations by now? Uh, five, well, right? Moulin Rouge. Hours. Uh, the Hours. Rabbit Being Hole. The Ricardos, Lion, and Rabbit Hole. It's yeah, five. So it's five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it is interesting. Yes, although. The movies that she hasn't been nominated for, it's not like you can be surprised she wasn't nominated for yeah. Birth or Dogville or... Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah, although... To I Die think... For, I think, is legitimately... But we've talked about, I tweeted... We, we have an episode on it. There's and I tweeted the other on. day, because I was so... Every time I'll like fall down that rabbit hole, I literally... There are 15 performances that year that I would say were worthy of an Oscar nomination in 1995. Right. It's that competitive. Um, we, I Lion, kinda... though, is also... I rem- remember it as being an incredibly well-made movie. It's shot by Greg Frazier. As is um, Mary Magdalene. Yep. They yeah. also, yep. Um, I remember that movie just looking really stunning the and the thing about, storytelling of it being really strong. The thing about Lion in the context of... The 2016 Best Picture Race, because it's nominated for yes, Best Picture. Yes, this was the original question. <laughs> so the thing about the 2016 Best Picture Race is, and this is not always the case in the uh, expanded Best Picture era, but pretty much every movie on that list had a very strong narrative. Not within, mm-hmm. not necessarily within the movie, but like a strong awards narrative, right? Moonlight, La La Land, those speak for themselves. Hidden Figures was the sort of late-breaking crowd-pleaser. Manchester by the Sea had this like towering performance that was like undeniable and that like, you know, put Amazon on the map. Arrival made a ton of money and was like the movie that people went and saw to sort of... Uh, feel better about the world after the Trump election. Um, Fences was another movie that like was riding on these very towering performances between Denzel and Viola Davis. Hacksaw Ridge was the one. August Wilson as well. Right. Hacksaw Ridge was the one everybody hated, which is a narrative in and of itself. You know what I mean? But like it was incredibly popular with a certain set of the Academy. Right. Hell or High Water is the only other one that's like arguably the not the one without a narrative. 
Uh, but it was a big surprise summer hit, though. Right. That movie, I remember, made a lot of money. And then there's and Lion. And also probably appeals to the same voter as Hacksaw Ridge. It's part of the reason why I don't like it. I know you don't like it, but I think it's such a better movie than Hacksaw Ridge. Like, I don't think it's, I don't think there's. Yes, it's, it's, yes. It doesn't compare. It appeals to those people. It's like. And me. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, Hell or High <laughs> yeah, Water also well, appealed to the, other it people. It has a, bra- a broader yeah. appeal than you might expect. Yeah. And so there's a little bit of an, and then there's Lion uh, uh, factor to it, right? Where it's just like, and then Lion is the nice movie that people liked. And that's its mm-hmm. entire awards narrative, is that people really liked it. But it ended up being the thing that Weinstein Co. pushed. And it's right. like, that, you know. Yeah, it's last spending the money on it. One of its last gasps uh, in terms of as losses. as it continually, you know, lost money left and right. Right. Too. So yeah, it got a total of six nominations. So Kidman, Patel, Picture, Screenplay, um, and then what else? Let's see. Did Greg Fraser get nominated? I thought he did. Wasn't there a while where like Greg Frazier was struggling to get nominated for things? No, he was nominated. He was for nominated for it, and he wins for Dune. And then uh, the score was also nominated. Lost to Justin Hurwitz for La La Land. Um, Can't wait to see what he does with Dune. <laughs> Dune two. Um, I'm very yes, I'm very excited for Dune two. Um, the 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 crafts uh, credits on Mary Magdalene are very. Are very good. Greg Frazier. One of the very final scores of Johan Johansson right. for his untimely death. Uh in tandem so with sad. in tandem with Hildur Oh, how do we pronounce Guna Daughter. Yes, Guna Daughter, who would go on to win the Oscar for Joker, right? Win for Joker should have been nominated for Women Talking, yes. I think. I I can acknowledge that the Joker score is good compositionally yeah but in the context of that movie which is like everything happening in that movie i hate like i don't like how it's used in that movie but i think that she is going to be i think she's going to be major she's going to be like dupla is yeah yeah i think that's probably right one to watch as the independent spirit awards would say (laughs) one to watch who already has an oscar (laughs) Uh, Garth Davis, though, I want to talk about this upcoming, because I don't think he's made a movie, he's directed a movie since Mary Magdalene, uh, which is Correct. Longer, I'm excited for this movie. Even, How could you not be? Uh, even from when Mary Magdalene was released, it's now been four years. So, like, from the time that it was made, it's been much, much longer. Um, he's got a movie coming out called Foe that is based on a novel by Ian Reid, no relation. Um which sounds really interesting. Have you? How much do you know about Foe? I think it's supposed to be vaguely science fiction. Yes. All I kind of really need is that trio of stars at the top of the movie. It's Saoirse Ronan, Paul Mescal, and Aaron Pierre, who I'm really excited about. Uh, he was in The Underground Railroad and also this Canadian film um, that he's extraordinary in called Brother. Um, and also, lest you forget... Great. Aaron Pierre was mid-sized sedan in old. Speaking of your <laughs> this beloved, this is just an old episode. Vicky Creeps. Um, yeah. So my my sense of the plot of Foe, and I have not read the novel because I don't read. Um, Paul Mescal, Mescal. God damn it! I'm still doing it. Sorry, Paul. Please can forgive me and still marry me. Did I do it wrong too? We know what's right, and we just keep and doing we just it. keep doing it wrong. You know why? Because it sounds cooler, Mescal. You know why? Cooler. Because we go into smooth brain when we see his 
hundred percent. That 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 angelic little face. Uh, Paul Meskel and Saoirse Ronan play married, essentially farmers in the future with like whatever the world's gone to shit, um, and a stranger knocks on their door, and the stranger is uh, Aaron Pierre. And we want to be what Paul reaps and sows. <laughs> Paul Meskel's got some interesting movies because he's also in the Andrew Hay movie coming up this year. The That's... man doesn't stop working. <laughs> Paul Meskel, Andrew Scott. Um, uh, oh, and who's... Gay shit. What's that? It's going to be some gay shit. Some gay Love shit. It. But Jamie Can't Bell wait. is in it. And, and who's the... Claire Foy. I Claire thought. Foy. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I know there was a quartet of stars in that movie. Um, so super, super excited to see where things go with Paul Meskel this year. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for Foe. I'm interested to see. I think Garth Davis, there's a temptation to sort of just be like, well, his follow up to Lion flopped. So we don't have to take him, you know, he's not really the up and coming next big thing guy anymore. Right. And it's an Amazon Studios movie, which I'm not excited about because Amazon makes everything seem less interesting. Unfortunately, uh, they are repositioning themselves though, because they have said that they're going to do this large theatrical plan for a certain set of their movies. As of airing, air will be in theaters, and we'll see what comes of that. I skipped my screening for it. I'm ex- um, I'm interested to see it because so many people that I saw reacted to it very positively and described compared it to things like Moneyball and Jerry Maguire and stuff like that, which I'm dubious as it is it you know reaches those heights, but it's people I trust reacted well to it. So, right, right. um, I'm uh, in general, it's not something that super super uh psychs me up, but anyway, um. Do we think that the MGM thing was like, you know, when you inject sometimes like a like a white blood cell thing into a system and it like invades in a positive way? And like, uh, you know, do you think that's what MGM did to Amazon Studios? I would like to believe it's that Amazon sees that nothing that they're really producing or putting on that platform has much of a footprint. Yeah. 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 I mean that's been that's that's the that's the reason why if you see in the last five years Amazon Studios connected to a thing you're sort of like oh you know oh I had hopes for that movie and then oh. yeah um, so yeah hopefully the that starts to turn around but I'm excited for Foe good for that who else should we talk about in relation to let's talk about we could talk about Joaquin Phoenix yeah. I mean it's kind of a reminder when you look at his awards run yeah even, I mean maybe not because like. The awards run for Joker was so started with like, well, how much is he going to play ball? And also, what is he going to say? And also, how weird is it going to be? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think none of that ultimately mattered for Joker because Joker was his fourth Oscar nomination. Joker um, ended up being and- the most normal Joaquin Phoenix awards campaign of all of them, weirdly enough, right? Like, almost in 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 inverse reaction to the movie itself joaquin didn't grumble about having to go to award ceremonies like he had in the past he wasn't you know a pill about anything he seemed like a decently chill person in his Mm -hmm. acceptance speeches it was the most i'd ever really liked him in terms of a celebrity people dogged on him for his acceptance speeches but like there's actual substance there like was it his globe speech or his sag speech where he's like talking shit about people who, you know, flew from L.A. to Palm Springs <laughs> for the Palm Springs Festival. Right. And it's like, good on you for yeah. saying that. And, like, he does the, you know, people talking about the mother calf in his Oscar speech. But, like, yeah. 
I thought it was actually like even if he's inarticulate about it, kind of beautiful what he's I trying give, to get across. I and, give a long, long leash to celebrities being weird celebrities, like I, actors, not celebrities necessarily, actors. I think I. And it's because I love actors, but like actors are weird people. The job that they have to do requires them to become very weird people. It requires them to like open their, their psyches up to this sort of cavalcade of all of the emotions all at once so that they can be able to bring them to the fore at any moment. So it makes them all shits like us to sit back and unpack, like, you Mm -hmm. know, we're, Mm -hmm. you know. But it makes them all deeply strange people. And that yeah. is why I love them. And that's why whenever there's something we're like, oh, my God, this actor so up their own ass. Or, oh, my God, this actor is like, who talks like that? Who like, who thinks like that? And it's like, uh, somebody who like does this for a living. Like, they all become crazy. Yeah. And and I love them for they it. They become crazy, too. Yeah. Um, but he's also had to go. I I always I like Joaquin a lot, and I have sympathy for him. And like he's had to like go through shit, like press people constantly asking about about his brother. And yeah, yeah, he did not yeah. have the most uh, smooth uh, entry into no. becoming a becoming an actor. You forget about that. Like how much that must really weigh on him and. Uh, especially because like not only did his brother die at such a pivotal stage in his life mm-hmm. but his brother was sort of hailed as the like the next coming of James Dean essentially right like he was the next great actor of his generation we might have something to say about this we might we might Oh, I oh I love that we're in our uh, our teasing. We're in the... our teasing the May mini series. You know, that's maybe too much of a spoiler, but uh, not no, not necessarily. No, I don't think people like, will be able. Uh, to it's guess. a spoiler that we're going to talk about. But anyway, yeah, anyway, Walking yeah, yeah, yeah. Phoenix. Yes. Um. So at this point, he by the time he makes Mary Magdalene, he's a three time Oscar nominee. He had not won at this point. His Oscar nominations are interesting, actually. When you look at like. Couldn't be three more different performances and three couldn't be more different movies. I think it's sometimes somebody's Oscar uh, portfolio, for lack of a better term, shows the exact kind of niche that they occupy. And sometimes it shows an actor's breadth of talent. And for as much as I sometimes would, you know, I think he gets, I think he can fall victim to the temptation to get too hammy in his performances. I think Gladiator and Walk the Line and The Master and I mean I hate Joker. It's tough to like Joker the Joker performance is exactly the thing that I don't like about Joaquin Phoenix performances. And The Master is sort of that way too. But like I love The Master. Yeah, I I've only seen it the once. Maybe I owe it another rewatch. I'm you know you know I'm weird with Paul Thomas Anderson though. I have a weird Sure, 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 sure. Thing. It's my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson by the way. <laughs> What makes it your favorite? Though, talk about that because I think that's interesting. Uh, I mean, I think a it's a deeply emotional movie. movie that really kind of moves me. It moves me in the way that uh, "Best Years of Our Lives" moves me, and that it's, um, you know, it, I mean, it's a movie about a veteran. It's a movie about a way, a post life way of a, a post war way of life mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Uh, is or post war society that does not 
serve these people in a way that makes their problems worse. Yeah. Um, obviously, the best years of our lives is more about like healing in that way. Sure. I think the master is in some ways the character that he plays, you know, has to part of that movie's point is that he has to part chart his own path yeah um towards you know healing and finding comfort uh i find it rather than follow one that is being fed to him right a lot of the um underwhelmed initial reactions to the master even among some of the like the pta acolytes also super super hyped this is what i was just about to say is it was hyped as paul thomas anderson's scientology movie he was going to make the movie about an L. Ron Hubbard figure, which he does, but it's not what people had in their heads when it came. It wasn't the Boogie Nights right. of Scientology, right? It wasn't the um, sort of, I think people were looking for an expose or maybe a takedown or maybe something that would sort of put this shadowy, um, you know, uh, creepy... <laughs> For lack of a better term, uh, religion it's, it's slash undoubtedly, cult on I think, blast. his strangest movie in a filmography that includes inherent. I was going to say the inherent vice is, is, strangest is movie. pretty strange, and I think the master is the most meandering in getting to what it's actually getting at. You mm. know, yeah. Um, no wonder why I like it. That's how my brain works. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think he's tremendous in that movie. Yeah. Um, I think everything about that movie is tremendous pig fuck. Um. <laughs> I mean, that is a tremendous scene for sure. I did I did think Philip Seymour Hoffman was pretty incredible in that movie. Um, Should be Amy Adams' this Oscar. Really? See, well... I Amy Adams should have two Oscars. I think she that should be her Oscar, and she sh- I, I'm looping back around to she should have the Jukebug Oscar. Oh, so you think it should be the master and Junebug, and I think it should be the fighter. I mean, I do. Lo- well, okay, <laughs> maybe I think Amy Adams given three Oscars. Amy three Oscars. Um, wow. All right, fi- I'm fine with that a version of history. <laughs> maybe this is something we'll uh, get into next month. Maybe. Um, um, but yeah, Je- Joaquin as Jesus is again. I don't think it's a bad performance. I do think. I think it's a performance from a different movie. I think in a different movie, it's maybe even a good performance. But but, because all of the Jesus stuff in this movie is undoubtedly the least interesting stuff about this movie. Yeah. In a way that I don't think it's necessarily even unintentional. I think you look at how you look at the way that like the the passion scenes and the crucifixion, right, are rendered. It's we get the bare minimum, really. We get uh, Rooney sleeps or whatever. She's knocked out by the Roman uh, soldier as they're coming to arrest Jesus. And she's essentially unconscious until the the walk to Calvary has already begun he's already got the cross strapped to his back he's already got the crown of thorns he's like halfway down she barely is able to like get to the road to see him and that entire sequence a sequence that was the entirety of the mel gibson movie um takes place in a matter of five minutes less maybe even it's very brief in terms it's of very, very brief. when you first see him on the road with the cross to when you last see him up on the cross and dying. It's like under, I would say maybe under five minutes. And so, then we have the scene of Mary Magdalene and Judas tear-eyed 
going and having this either reconciliation or understanding. Sarah McLaughlin's I Will Remember You <laughs> is playing off. as they touch each other's face. <laughs> I did want them to that. kiss in that moment. I knew they weren't going to because it wasn't that kind of a movie. But they're what if it was? They're it the two most attractive movie. people in the movie, and sometimes I think the two most attractive people in the movie should kiss. Maybe that's just sort of a rule <laughs> that I feel like sometimes. Um, you really want to piss off the Christians by making Judas and Mary Magdalene make out. I'm kind of surprised. But- Actually, I feel like there's a certain sect of Christians that would be like, see? There's a movie in that. Like, there's... I'm, I'm surprised that we haven't had... Because, obviously, alternate takes on Jesus abound. I'm very interested to see what this... I mean, this movie feels like a Terrence Malick-influenced take on the if Jesus... If a Terrence M- Malick movie had scripted dialogue, yes. Right. But so now we've got a Terrence there's Malick a movie in the flowing. works about the life of Jesus, where... Uh, Pronounce his name because you do it better than I do. The guy from Son of Saul. Uh, Gesheroig. Gesheroig. Uh, uh, playing Jesus, which I'm interested in. I understand in. complicated feelings about Son of Saul, but that performance I is really like Son of Saul. Unreal. Yeah. Um, uh, sometimes you need to film a movie where the camera is affixed to the back shoulder of your main character for the entire time, and that's just sort of how it goes. Um, I'm interested to see what a Malick movie brings to this story beyond what maybe is expected because it feels like we can almost like play the Terrence Malick Jesus movie in our heads before even seeing it. Right. 1000%. Yeah. 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 So um, there's maybe not fields. I'll still be excited to see it. There's maybe not fields of wheat in uh, Galilee at this time, but uh, certainly uh, maybe we'll do a hidden life sometime. We feel like talking about a three hour movie because that's a movie I would like to revisit. And I do think is quite good. I've still never seen it, but I've heard very good things for that movie. Yeah. Um, I was one of those movies that I was like, I will see this movie if it gets an Oscar nomination for like cinematography or whatever. And it didn't. And then other things sort of jumped it in the queue as often happens. Um, yeah, I Shiwatalaji uh, for and Tahar Rahim. Talk about the two of them. I've talked about them enough, but I think um I think they're both very good and very interesting in this movie. I almost brought this up earlier. Like this is a two very recent Shiwatalaji for movies back to back for us mm-hmm. and like for such a talented actor, it's a real bummer that like he's just somewhat regularly in these roles that don't serve him. Like mm. I would be more interested watching him play Jesus than playing sure. this Peter role that's like purely functional in the story. Oh, interesting. And like, I don't you know, Chiwetelegia so. for can give more than what a lot of these roles are asking of him. And it's like, you can see why he's in those, why he's cast in those roles because he's a very compelling actor. Yeah. And like, you know, secret in their eyes. He yeah. has to carry the movie. And I, think he does but it's like it doesn't ask right much of him beyond that like he can he can do that there's these are easy muscles for him to flex sure but i want to see him afforded more opportunity than that i i i hear what you're saying with that i think the the perf- the role as written doesn't require a ton of capital p performance out of him i do feel like he's very interesting in a very interesting role in the movie again that's where i feel like the heart of this movie sort of stands i like this depiction of peter as a sort of tactical revolutionary who is always looking at how this movement can ultimately lead to you know freeing the the jewish people from 
the Roman rule. And um, I think he plays the conflict that he has, not only the conflict that he has with Mary, but this sort of like kind of low simmering conflict that he has with Jesus, which doesn't ever really boil over. But like clearly there is some doubt and maybe some resentment towards Jesus where he was, where he's sort of impatient with Jesus to just like start talking, start becoming the firebrand that I maybe need you to be to lead this movement to overthrow this, you know, ruling, uh, these ruling occupiers uh, that we have in the Romans. And in the same way that I find Tahar Rahim's performance really effective and he plays those same notes too right he is very much Mm -hmm. he plays this like he has much more of a blind loyalty to jesus early on because he's so he just so believes that jesus is going to deliver what he wants out of this movement and peter is the same thing um but he is much much more disillusioned (laughs) when you know they go into jerusalem and it doesn't happen and I think he's so the heartbreak. There's heartbreak on his face in those last scenes that he has that I find very affecting. I think he's really good. Right. Yeah, he's a really good actor. I had kind of been quietly hoping he would get that Oscar nom for the Mauritanian mm. during the pandemic. Yeah, which was a movie I didn't. The like, most but pandemic I think he's an movie. Interesting actor. If I were to yes, crown, pandi- if I were to crown the like the pandemies, right? Where it's just like the movies that feel most of that year. Uh, that and Portrait of a Woman, <laughs> or Pieces of a. Woman. I was gonna say not Portrait of a Woman, Pieces of a Woman. Pieces of a Woman is a good example of that. Or the Rosamund Pike Golden Globe winner, um, I care a lot. I care a lot. That's another one yeah. where it's just like that yeah. to me doesn't exist outside of that bubble. Yeah, yeah, those are yeah, those are movies that would have faded away. Um, no, I'd been kind of rooting for him because I think he's a good actor. His filmography is somewhat chill, so like we could talk about that if we ever did the Mauritanian. Yeah, but like you want to, he's so hot that you want to see him cast as like himbo in yeah. some type of spectacle. Um, he's also one of those people. He's sort of a Mark Strong a little bit, where I'm getting better at recognizing him i don't want to i don't want to put the face blindness sienna miller thing on him because i do think he's an incredible i mean i also think sienna miller has it in her to be incredibly interesting in things but he's one of those faces that tends to blend into his characters for a while where i'm i'm trying to think of like something that i've seen recently where i'm like oh that is tahar rahim isn't it um we recently talked about a prophet, which he is the star of, and yes. tremendous in. Yes. Oh, um, it was this. God, this Apple TV Plus series that I reviewed called Extrapolations. That it's is always a, an Apple TV show. Yeah, um, that's the big star-studded anthology show about like climate change is just going to get worse and worse and worse, and like Merrill's in it, and all these other people. <laughs> and so he's in like this one episode, and it's like halfway through the episode, and I'm like. That guy kind of looks like a Tahar Rahim type. Let me look it up and like, oh, yep, it's Tahar Rahim, of course. Tahar Rahim. Uh, yeah, that's what it was. He's good, though. I really think he's great in this movie. Not just because he is um, a, a hot Judas. As, like I said, hot Judas feels like the title of another... The, the Judas-focused movie should be called Hot Judas, I think. That's, that's, <laughs> and let Lady Gaga do the entire soundtrack to that. Maybe it's a musical. Who knows? Hot Judas should be a Gregor Rocky movie. What's Judas's big song in Jesus Christ Superstar? Superstar. <laughs> oh, right. Of course. He's the one who... I, for, I'm thinking of that show, which I have seen 
and I'm pretty sure I've seen the movie. Maybe not. Um, his character and John the Baptist's character sort of sometimes blend in my head in terms of like who has what songs. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, you're right. He has superstar. He is the best character in that show, right? I mean, Mary Magdalene gets well, to do I Don't Know How to Love Him. Okay, expound on that. You're bringing the ALW into this episode. So talk about Mary Magdalene and Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> um, much respect to uh, Sarah Bareilles' version, which I think is very beautiful. Emmy nominated. Uh, indeed. Uh, also, Helen Reddy's version of I Don't Know How to Love Him is also beautiful. We had Ivana Elman in the teaser, mm-hmm. and no one has gotten it yet. That's true. Um, if uh, okay, I don't know how to love him. I don't know if I like that song. You don't like the song, or you don't like the meaning of the song. What, no, what I like, like as a as a as it hits my ear. I'll I'll flip to a different song. Have you listened to the Sarah Bareilles' version? I love Sarah Bareilles' voice. It's probably the version I would stick with the longest because I do love the quality of her voice. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it's a very exciting or interesting song. How do you feel about everything's all right? Which really like I like everything's Mary all right. Repeats the it is. Remember the Jesus Christ superstar. This is where I was a transparent. I was gonna say, are you gonna talk about transparent? The, yes, the Jesus Christ superstar stuff it. and transparent. I loved it. Was good. I, this, transparent is a especially in retrospect show with thorny, a lot of problems, thorny subject. But I thought at when it was at its highest moments, and there were a lot of high points in that show. It it delivered for me. Catherine Hahn on that show. Catherine Hahn, Judith Light on that show. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, the Jesus Christ Superstar. What was Judith Light's character's show that... Oh, what was her, well, what was her character's name? Because it was a show, play on her what character. What was the name of that show? That, right, but it was a play on her character's name. It was Shelly... It wasn't like just Jack, but No, it but something. it was like something, because her character's name was Shelly, right? Um, I think it was, she abbreviated it to Shell for the show, so it's like Speaking of 90s music, when she does um, uh, Hand in My Pocket. Oh, yeah. Tremendous. Tremendous television. Yeah. Um, Hold on. It was called To Shell and Back. (laughs) So you were on the right track. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Yep. That's perfect. That's perfect. God, we had a great moment of Judith Light, and it feels like... Two Tony Awards, back-to-back, plus Transparent, uh-huh. um, plus she was in a bunch of other things. Yeah, the honestly, the Judith Light revival began with Ugly Betty. I, I, I stand by this. Where she starts off... Judith Light revival revival. 100%. Um, but she showed up on that show, and I don't think she had been in anything major for quite a while maybe since who's the boss like i'm sure she had done theater and whatever but she hadn't been like in anything major i don't think and then she shows up in ugly betty in something that probably could have been like a couple episodes she's the um she's the whatever uh daniel's mother she's the sort of matriarch of the family that owns the magazine and she's so good (laughs) on that show and she ends up getting in it more and more and more and she's that was back when the emmys would do shortlists for the acting uh categories Mm -hmm. and um she would show up on she almost got nominated a couple of years for that performance and that kind of i think brought her back into the consciousness and she ended up getting a ton more tv work after that um, and then, of course, she gets the two back-to-back Tony Awards, winning for essentially the same type of 
role <laughs> both of those times. But I saw both of those shows, and I thought she was very good in both of them. And then she's in, like, did you watch the uh, American Crime Story season about... The Versace season? The Versace no. season? Oh, she has an episode in that where she's a fucking knockout. She's so good. She plays the widow... I believe you. She plays the widow of the sort of uh, wealthy elderly victim that he kills in... I want to say maybe Chicago. Um, and she fucking kills it. She's so goddamn good. And one of the reasons I most disliked the menu, a movie I really didn't like, it just waste, gives Judith Light nothing to do. What the fuck is wrong with you? Yep. I agree. I agree. Rewrite the script if you cast her. Give <laughs> something to do. All right. What um, else do we want it, to talk about? Very natural. We talked about Judith Light in um, an episode about Jesus. Um, <laughs> all I have to say about that. Um, anything else on the movie before we move into the IMDb game? Um, no, I think maybe we've, let me, wait, let me see if there's anything else in my notes. Um, oh, I did feel like, tell me how you, and I don't think it was like a fatal problem with the movie. Um, a movie that I still feel like is pretty middling. Um, there were a few times where the dialogue was very obviously modern, but in a, uh-huh. but not in a uh-huh. way that like we're doing modern Mary Magdalene, where it was like just sort of turns a phrase where she's like she's telling uh, Shira Haas like you can take it, you can take it for uh, for a minute, you know, <laughs> talking about like the pain of childbirth or whatever, and it's like that's not a phrase that existed back then, <laughs> like that's, yeah. um, I just that that took me out of it a few times, and then, um, oh the baptism we haven't talked about the baptism scene where Jesus baptizes her in this like it's the horniest baptism you've ever seen it's exactly so it. horny thank you thank you chris we are very much connected on this movie it's a very erotic baptism scene um that comes on the heels of like not too long after she's you know the, her family's trying her to exercise her, to exercise her which is you know they're also trying to drown her <laughs> while they do it so yeah. um obviously the juxtaposition is intentional there but yeah it's a very very sexy baptism scene so good for good for Mary Magdalene. Uh, Mary, would you like to explain the IMDb game for our listeners? Yes, I was just going to say Miss Mary Mag Mag Mag, as I said, and I tried to find <laughs> other rhymes to uh, to continue that, and I couldn't do it. Okay, sorry. IMDb game. <clears throat> uh, well, every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress and try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we mentioned that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. And if that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. Spectacular. Ta-da. Would you like to give or guess first? I'm going to give first because I'm going to say up front that this is a dumb one. And I <laughs> this is one where... I think the best you're going to be able to do is get three. And I just want to talk about it because there's okay. a fourth one that's absolutely insane. And we just need to have this conversation and sort of talk about it and get it out in the open. Okay. I, I will know that going in. Maybe that will make me guess the the insane. So we've had other people um, throughout the years play the role of Mary Magdalene in films or on television. And Bancroft, who we've previously done on the IMDb game, uh, played Mary Magdalene in Jesus of Nazareth, I believe. Um, I believe it was Mary Magdalene. I don't think she played Mary the Mother of God, although now, give me a second. I don't want to be wrong in front of all these other Catholics who are going to judge me 
because Lord knows I watch Jesus of Nazareth enough times, either in school or on was TV. Was that just like when you're in Catholic school and they just roll out a TV on a cart, they just show you Sometimes. Jesus of Nazareth? But that's also when, like, when your dad is my dad and he, like, my dad loves all of those old, like, <laughs> you know, biblical epics or whatever. He's not, like, my dad's religious, but, like, he's not, like, like you know, the most religious person, but he loves all of those, like, old It's a genre. Movies. He enjoys. Um, and so Jesus of Nazareth, we watched a bunch of times. Um, yes. Anne Bancroft played Mary Magdalene. Wait, this is an all-star cast. Um, uh, yeah, it's a lot of famous people. James Mason as Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. Ian McShane as Judas Iscariot. Laurence Olivier is in this movie. Um this is the one where TV I think movie. Donald Pleasance plays the the devil. Christopher Plummer as Herod. Anthony Quinn is in this movie. Um, holy shit! Ralph Richardson, Rod Steiger, Peter Ustinov, Ernest Borgnine, Valentina Corteza, like Stacey Keach. This is a crazy cast. Oh, and Olivia Husey played uh, Mary, the mother of God. Um, in that one. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Um. Monica Bellucci has played Mary Magdalene in The Passion of the Christ, as we know. The one I am bringing to the table is the woman who played Mary Magdalene famously in The Last Temptation of Christ. Um, Hershey. A movie that imagines, uh, sort of has a, a bit of a reverie where Jesus and Mary Magdalene get together and have a child together. And it's all sort of, that is the titular Last Temptation, right? You can have a life as a normal person with this beautiful woman who you love. And that is your last temptation. Get down off of the cross and, and, and yada, yada, yada. So I'm going to ask you for the known for, for Barbara Hershey. Uh, portrait of a lady, her Oscar nomination. No, not that. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Um, Last Temptation of Christ. No. Okay. So two strikes right okay, off of the bat. Great. Great. Your years are 1986, 1993, 2003, and 2010. And I'll just tell you right off of the bat that- 2010's the cra- Black Swan. Yes. The 2010's Black Swan. The crazy one is 2003. So you also have 86 and 93. Uh, is that mean no Beaches? I think Beaches is like 88. Is 86 Beaches? No. Beaches is 88. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, no beaches. Yeah. Arguably. If anyone was wondering, I know the year beaches came out. I am gay. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Yes. Same. Same, same, same. What the hell then? Um, You said 86 and 93. Yeah. 86 is a very, very well-known movie. She's on the poster. Um, 86 was a big year for her because she was in actually two movies that got Oscar nominations, but this is the one that got the most Oscar nominations. Um, 86. Yeah. That's, that's not, that's the year after Out of Africa. Yes. She's on the poster with two other women. Enemies of Love Story. No, that's 89. Damn. She's on the poster with two other women, one of whom won the Oscar that year. Oh, 86, 86, 86. Between Out of Africa and The Last Emperor, what is that movie? What's that best picture winner between those two? Platoon is the best picture winner between those two. Oh, okay. So not Platoon. Not Platoon. It's not Barbara Hershey's Platoon. Um, No, lost best picture to Platoon. Oh, my God. What is it? Um, This this director, it's one of his... 
more it's one of his most oscar lauded movies i will say and he's had quite a few including a best picture winner huh okay so it was a big winner in 86 controversial slash canceled director that's the big clue woody out oh uh hannah and her sisters yes hannah and her sisters yes barbara hershey on that poster with mia farrow and diane wiest diane wiest won the oscar that year in best supporting actress yes. all right 1993 this one you might not remember you may have not even seen this movie but is she- it a boy movie yeah, but like not in that way. Not in like a. Uh-huh. It's not like Heat or anything like that. Although it is a movie very much about like male rage. <laughs> um, I mean, I like Heat. I dog on its fans on this podcast, yeah. but I like Heat. But like you would call Heat a boy movie, even though I know uh, there are many. When people... I say boy movie, I mean like Platoon. Yeah, no, it's not Platoon. Um, yeah. Directed. I mean Steven Seagal. Directed by a director who has died within the last several years, although it's not the first movie you think of when you think of that director, so maybe that's not going to be super helpful. Um, starring an Oscar winner, a very distinctive haircut. Mm-hmm. Um, From 93. She, she plays... Uh, what is the nature of her? She's either like... The love interest, like the the wife who sort of is fretting over what's all happening, or like maybe the person he uh, is sort of fixing. Is this some on? type of legal thriller? I assume it's not an Oscar nominee. No, not an Oscar nominee. Um, give me a second to figure out the nature. It's been so long since I've seen this. Oh, she's the ex-wife. Right. She's the ex-wife of the main character. This is definitely a movie about a guy who has an ex-wife. <laughs> um, that's very much part of his vibe. So the protagonist is like a dirtbag. It's not like it's not a dirtbag. The whole point of the movie is like this person was pushed over the edge. The the falling down. Yes, falling down. There you go. Did not remember her being in that movie. Joel Schumacher. Exactly, but it's not like when you think of like what are the Joel Schumacher movies? You never really think of like falling down as being a signature Joel Schumacher movie. But that's part of his whole deal, right? Is that like he has? Just... What are you laughing at? What's so funny? I'm... <laughs> Classifying falling down as a movie about a guy that definitely has an ex-wife, but right, so funny. but right, like that's part of like that's definitional to that guy's character. We need to make a genre of of this movies about a guy who definitely, definitely has, has, an ex- has an ex-wife. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. All right, so. <laughs> It's so toxic that I'm laughing at this so much. <laughs> that 2003 movie, I had never heard okay. about this thing. I had never heard what? about this director. But the cast of this movie is, like, pretty well stacked. It's Barbara Hershey's in it. Hilary Swank is in it. Henry Thomas, Colin Hanks, Ben Foster, Patrick... Did it say Patrick Swayze? Uh, Clark Gregg, Sean Hattesey, Jason Siegel, Rachel Lee Cook... The log line is the events leading up to a car crash from five very different perspectives. It's one of those posters that's like fractured, shattered glass, and each shard of glass has a different character on it. I mean, it's Hilary Swank right before her second Oscar. Right. And remember how her car- her career like really dipped in between Oscars? Where it was like she made the core and it flopped and they were like, never again. And then she was back on top. Yeah. Yeah. 
And she's like the third lead of the core. Yeah. Um, this is a movie that's Jesus. available to watch on Tubi TV. So of course, um, also available to watch on Tubi TV. Mary Magdalene. Um, let me see if this movie has a, a an actual release. Of it's Mac. like the poster is like shattered glass. It's about a car crash. Yes. With Hillary Swank. Yes. I feel like I should know about it. Alaska Daily herself. Alaska Daily herself. It's one of those movies that like each like has different like segments and each segment is a different character experiencing the same event. Um it has a it's 90 we didn't wait, get enough of those in the 90s. 92% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes based on only 12 reviews. Um that's wild. Okay. That's interesting. Also, this is before Crash, before Paul Haggis's Crash. Exactly. It was. Wait. It played Cam. It in co- not in competition. I can't imagine. No. Um, but it maybe de- it was like director's Fortnite. It or debuted at Cam. Hold on. That's crazy. Yeah, premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. Also screened at TIFF in two thousand three. Limited theatrical <laughs> that release. More I've never heard of this, nor have I heard of the filmmaker. The director and writer is a man named Greg Marks, M-A-R-C-K-S. Never heard of him. Same. He hasn't made any other movie of any kind of note whatsoever. Nothing is, uh, you're never going to get it. It's a movie called 1114. Like literally like the time on (laughs) a- Like the time. Like the time time, of the crash. The time of the crash. I've truly never heard of this. Never, ever, ever. And that movie is on Barbara on Hershey's Barbara known for. Barbara Hershey's known for above beaches. Above beaches, above uh, the portrait of a lady, above what were the other ones? Last What's Temptation a, of Christ. Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, Insidious, which like made all that money. Oh yeah, she's insidious. and she's in that one. Um, uh, the the list is Hoosiers. That was the other 1986 movie that she was in, um, that had an Oscar nomination. As you can imagine, I have not seen Hoosiers. Oh. Hoosiers is a boy movie. Hoosiers is a movie that that we watched and like rolled in on a VCR, and, like literally like the last day before Easter vacation when nobody wanted to do anything. They just showed Hoosiers. At when my... they would bring that shit out during school, that's when I like loudly crack open a book. <laughs> she's in she's in swing kids as a character named frau muller so that's fun um got it yeah that's deeply deeply wild that tin men the natural the right stuff like come on y'all Let's let's fix this. fix this fix it fix it Steve fix it uh, Justice IMDb. for Barbara. All right, give me your give me what you chose for the IMDb. someone who I guess surprisingly because it's not in our spreadsheet that we haven't done. Uh, you went the Mary Magdalene route. I went the Jesus route of uh-huh. uh, people who have previously played the role of Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, from the film Last Days in the Desert, directed by Rodrigo Garcia, Mister Ewan McGregor. Ewan. All right. Okay. Let's see. Moulin Rouge. Correct. Train Spotting. Correct. Big Fish. Incorrect. Tim Burton usually shows up pretty well on these IMDb's, which yeah. is why I guessed that. Um. Sorry, I'm not cheating. I'm just clicking on this one Barbara Hershey movie because I think Joe Cole is in it in this based on this photo. <laughs> Um, and I'm like, is that Joe Cole without the schnoz? No, it's not Joe Cole. Never mind. Um, that prosthetic nose from, uh, from Secret in Their Eyes has been haunting me for weeks. Okay. Um, Moulin Rouge. 
what did I say? Train spotting. Mm-hmm. And big fish have been your guesses. Star Wars. Ep- I need. I need an answer. Okay, so here's the here's the conundrum. Usually, when it's only one of a franchise, it's the first one. But he's a much bigger part of Episode Three, so I'm going to say Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Incorrect. So you're getting your years. Okay. Your years are 2013 and 2017. Oh, so not a Star Wars. Okay. Or at least not. There are no, uh, there's no Obi-Wan. No, there might be a war, but there's uh, no Star Wars. (laughs) A war of some kind. But they do not take place in space in the past. 2013 and 2017. Correct. Um... 2017, I should know, right? Right? Like... Maybe, oh. maybe not. No, 2017 is too early for Dr. Sleep. 2013? Oh my god, of course. Every single goddamn person in this movie in August Osage County... <laughs> I August Osage County. He's truly the like, forgotten member of that cast, though. I never Because he's miscast. Yeah, very much. Um, Not only miscast for the role, but miscast as Julia Roberts' husband. uh Who decided that? Who made that decision? John Wells. Um, 2017. 2017. It is absolutely batshit that this is on here and a Star Wars isn't. So it's not like Winnie the Pooh. Uh, was he in Winnie the Pooh or Christopher Robin? Christopher Robin, sorry. Both? It was Christopher Robin. Not Yes, Christopher Robin. Christopher Robin. Oh, that's the same thing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yes. But it's, no, but the title. You were right about the title. Um, right. Written by Alex Ross I know, Perry. I know. Uh, the, the whiplash from that and to her smell truly, uh. Listen, if he wrote that movie so her smell can exist, God bless. God, on you. God bless. All right. 2017. Was it a hit? No, absolutely not. <laughs> Is it like absolutely a, not? Does it exist? No. Okay, great. No. Is he the lead? It. He's definitely the lead. It. It is not a hit. It is not a movie anyone asked for. But. It. Uh, is it like connected made... to any other movies? Oh yeah, it's a sequel. Oh, it's a sequel. Is it Sicario too? Day of the... He's not in Sicario 2. Whatever. What's the Sicario sequel called? Something Sicario Soledado? 2 yeah, yeah. racist bullshit. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know why that jumped into my mind. Um, it's a sequel. He's not in the first one. He is, he in, the is in the first one. Oh, interesting. Is it like... Joseph. Is it a genre? Is it sort of like a action or a comedy or a no, horror? No, it, it is a movie that he is the lead of both. He is the lead of both and no one asked for this to have a, the, a sequel from the original. It is maybe 20 years after the original. Okay. Um, I oh, think you don't know that this sequel No, exists. I know that this sequel exists but it's dumb. Is it Train Spotting 2? T2? It's Train Spotting 2. I don't understand why this shows up in IMDb games. There was in somebody else's IMDb game too. Maybe Kelly McDonald's or something like that. Um, Some, I think it was in Kelly McDonald's. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand what nobody what, saw this why, movie. Nobody wanted Train Spotting two. Right. Why did they make Train Spotting two? 
Who knows? Nobody knows. Um, I feel less bad that it took me that long to get to that because, yeah, that is truly a forgotten movie. <laughs> I was trying not to say it was a sequel because I was like, yeah. oh, then he's going to guess Train Spotting 2. But, but no. T2 Train Spotting. That was 2013. I thought that movie was after. No, 2017. Oh, that was 2017. 2013 was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. was was have I gotten 2013 yet, or am I still waiting on 2013? That was August. Oh, that was August. Of course. Sorry, these things are slipping out of my mind. I'm existing out of <laughs> space. I am. Uh, uh, Let's move on from this accursed. Uh, <laughs> yes. Game of the IMDb. Truly. Game, okay. Where... Yes. We'll move on. Uh, we'll meet you next. Listeners, week. that's our episode. If you want more of this head Oscar buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz and on Instagram at thisheadoscarbuzz. Joe, where can the listeners find more of you? Well, as you know, uh, the blue check marks are going away, so it's not even worth it to find me on Twitter anymore because uh, what's the use? Yada, 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 whatever. Twitter and Letterboxd at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. And I am also on Twitter and Letterboxd at Crispy File. That's F-E-I-L. Uh, we'd like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mavius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So we're just a holy fool, but baby, it'd be so cruel if you didn't leave us a review. That's all for this week. We hope you'll be back next week for more buzz and fish bread and rice.